discover the possibilities of internal medicine. Thank you for joining me this evening to talk about the both the NYACP Advocacy Internship for Medical Students and Residents, but also the NYACP Health Disparities Fellowship, which we have our inaugural uh, fellow with us tonight. So I'm super excited to be with all of you. Just generally, I'm just going to go around and, and recognize who's joining me on this podcast tonight. We have Gabriella Bernal from Mount Sinai, Uzumaka Aniagba from Northwell, Nick Corcoran Caggiano from Albany Medical Center, and Simone Seward, who's at Upstate and also a, a teacher of medical students. I'll, I'll start with the first one we had come through our program, um, Uza. You, were, you joined us first in January, uh, brave soul that you were, uh, for our all-remote internship. What led you to apply and to participate? I mean, my motivation to apply really was I wanted to see what other career options were available in medicine outside of like the hospital and what that entailed and if I could see that being a part of my life. So when I saw the opportunity um, at Northwell as to do that as a track during like your second or third year, I thought it was a great opportunity to just see what it was um, and experience it and then and see if I would like it. And if I did, how would I infuse it into my life in some way, shape or form? So that was my main thing. And I love, I, I'm interested in advocacy and trying to see like how doctors can advocate for ourselves because if not, then who else is gonna advocate for us um, or residents in that fact. A lot of people forget the struggles that we go through. Some of us have family. So just to see that side of it and see how I could help or what I could do in the future was very, I think very rewarding for me. So did you, did you find anything in the internship that, that gave you the information you were looking for? Or did you find something that you didn't expect to, to find? I spoke with Marcus Friedman for like an hour, almost yeah, two Dr. Hours. Friedrich, yep, at the um, Friedrich, Department Friedrich. of Health, yep. Yeah, so I just spoke with him and he told me kind of his trajectory, like how he was going down one path and an opportunity opened up for him to become part of the Department of Health and he did it. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was planned, but it aligned with everything that he wanted to do. And he feels like it, it was, it's been a rewarding career. Um, like he has control over his schedule in a way, like he gets to spend time with his family. Um, and that just for me, because I'm still trying to figure out what I'm trying to do with my life. So it just was rewarding to see like, you know, medicine isn't like a monolith. Like it's, there's so many doctors and doing so many different things. You have so many opportunities and so many options. So um, I think that's was the part that I took from the experience that I can literally choose or like create my own career path in medicine um, that I don't have to just stick with the mold. I can kind of shift it to however I want it to be. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. G Gabby, what brought you to our internship and um, you have any takeaways or unexpected or unexpected outcomes? All right. So um, for me, I was the first person in my program to do this internship. So I was kind of the, uh, the pilot person for Mount Sinai. And what I have to say, your program director is very active and engaged. She's with incredibly us. active. She's, she's amazing. She's amazing. She does so many things. She is really inspiring. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we always talk about with her is that I've been very aware of the things that work and don't work so well for our patients in terms of um, access to care. And that's something that I've been very passionate about. I, I think I've also had the opportunity in my life 
to see how other healthcare systems work because I trained in um, in Spain and I sort of have this other side of what healthcare is that to me it's it's important to sort of advocate and speak about some of the things that you know might not be working so well for our healthcare system for our patients. And Can you think of something that you saw or you, that you're aware of that doesn't work well? Like what's an example? Um, access, like basic things, access to care, access to medications. You know, a lot of our patients are scared about going to the ED for fear of, you know, I don't have insurance or I don't know how, how much this is going to cost. Or, you know, a lot of our patients are just underinsured. So they can maybe afford some things, but not others. And they're not receiving the full spectrum of care that I think that everybody really in New York State and the United States should receive. So I think that it's important for us as physicians to also know that this is happening and advocate for our patients. So for me, that was like the big reason that I was like, okay, this is going to be really interesting. Maybe I'm going to see sort of like how things work on the other end, what things we can and can't do. Um, And I think one of the things that really surprised me is that as physicians, I don't think I realized when I went into it really that how much of a voice we have in the process and how much our opinion matters and how much it matters to say like, here's my story. This is what I'm actually seeing. That makes a big difference, especially for policymakers to really hear what's going on. Great. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Nick, you came to us from uh, Albany Medical Center as a medical student and is we got to live with Nick through the match, which is always an exciting component for NYACP staff. Would you mind sharing a little about what interested you in applying for the internship and, um, you know, any outcomes that you could think of? Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I think I come, come here from a little bit of a unique place among this group and that I'm a medical student, but I think in, from an intern standpoint in general, in that I'm actually going into emergency medicine. So it's a, a little bit unusual for uh, an ACP internship, but um, it, it came to my attention through Dr. Joe Wayne. He was the clerkship director for my medicine clerkship. He was listed as the contact person. And so we, we spoke about it. And, and so I have kind of begun for the last two or three years working on these policy agendas and, and seeing things from that perspective. But uh, looking at it in a more formalized setting, as opposed to um, a, a monthly meeting, seemed like a, an excellent opportunity and one where I could take advantage of my proximity to Albany. Although it, it, it turns out that uh, that didn't end up being everything a, was Zoom. <laughs> yeah, didn't end up being a relevant portion of it. But um, I could see the Capitol from my apartment. <laughs> but then, kind of working to establish some relationships as uh, I'm staying in in the state of New York. And so to kind of develop those relationships as I move forward in my career, uh, hoping to continue work with policy, um, maybe to uh, develop a health policy um, fellowship at a New York institution. And I think that we're such a powerful force in healthcare in the United States, particularly in Albany, that we really need to have these opportunities to make a difference, to put the stamp of physicians on healthcare policy. Mm -hmm. I was frankly alarmed at some of the legislation that's been proposed uh, with obviously no physician input in the initial phases. Some of the things just didn't make sense. It kind of gave evidence to me 
um, from largely a, a number of bills that really there, there was no consideration to physician input. Once it was provided, it was always welcomed. But fundamentally, there was no real uh, open solicitation, it felt. And through various um, advocacy days that I've done, what it, what it really seemed like is those relationships just simply don't exist. Once those relationships are established, it seems like it's a, a nice situation where you, you really can have an impact and you can put forth those um, suggestions, opinions, re- revisions, et cetera. Um, but until those relationships exist, until that work has been, that the groundwork has been laid, we get a lot of bills that, that don't look like they've seen much in the way of, of uh, doctor recommendations. Great. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And um, although the three of you, um, Uza, Gabby, Nick, you were part of the Steve Wallerstein Advocacy Internship Program that we've had here at NYACP for a number of years. This year, we were um, also uh, privileged to be introduced to, at, to the SUNY Albany Center for the Elimination of Minority Health Disparities, and they have a um, fellowship program there that Simone is a part of as she works on her doctorate in public health at SUNY's, um, SUNY Albany School of Public Health. And so, Simone, uh, we're just super pleased to welcome you as our first health disparities fellow. And uh, unlike the advocacy intern for residents and medical students, which is full time for three or four weeks, yours is um, part time or even quarter time for Mm -hmm. a full semester. So it's a little bit of a different kind of um, look as you continue to do what your other things that you're involved with. So what brought you to us and how's it going? Because yours is still ongoing. Um, Please feel free to share. Sure. Um, So what brought me to this um, opportunity was really identifying that I lack um, both an interest and will to pursue policy issues. And I know that's an area of weakness that I needed to conquer, (laughs) Um, especially as a, a public health professional and practitioner, as well as an educator for um, our future you know, healthcare providers, I felt like this is an area that I needed to strengthen. I needed to really understand or get a better understanding of how policies are made. I knew how they work on paper just from coursework that I coursework that I've taken, but haven't really had the experience of seeing it actually, you know, played out in person. So when this opportunity came up and it was focusing on health disparities, um, which is an area that I feel very strongly about and are passionate about. I literally jumped on the opportunity. So um, working with uh, the NYACP, I've really gotten a chance to see both how legislators are um, informed, how they make decisions, how you know, chapters such as this have influence and have a voice or can provide a voice to a lot of the bills and um, policies that get that get handed down, um, good or bad. Also, alarmingly, how little attention is paid to health disparities or healthcare disparities, which is a little disappointing to me. Because again, there's so much that gets talked about in the media, you know, in different circles and different spaces that I just assumed, oh, everybody's talking about health disparities, um, or everybody's at least talking about healthcare disparities and you know, trying to do something about it. So when I started, um, you know, tracking the bills, I only found, I think, two or three that specifically had health disparities named as an issue to focus on. 
Um, one was the collaborative practice to address healthcare disparities or health disparities. And another was implementing some kind of a cultural competency training for physicians or healthcare providers in order to address healthcare disparities. And so far those bills have not really been put forth <laughs> for signature and I don't even know where they are right now. Um, so I'm still tracking them, hoping that by the time my, my fellowship um, ends, we will see some movement. And you know, will... that would be a lightning speed in terms <laughs> of the legislative process. That's oh. another thing I learned that things, things don't happen very fast. But again, it's been, it's been an interesting experience. And even the project that I chose to work with um, NYACP on focusing on, you know, how can we make policy decisions that are informed by data that are informed by the lived experiences of our patients. Um, I think I forget who mentioned it. It was Nick or, you know, Gabby, where, you know, a lot of times people don't understand what happens on the ground, right? What happens, you know, at the bedside. So working on this project that's more focusing on developing a um, health equity curriculum, utilizing a shared decision model um, of care, where we are soliciting input from the patients, we are soliciting input from um, advocates such as, you know, our budding physicians. Um, I think this could potentially be um, one way where we could help to kind of start to move the needle in terms of how physicians can effectively interact with, you know, diverse populations and diverse patients, because our population is becoming more diverse. Um, that's a fact. So the more, you know, opportunities we have to train our future physicians to be able to effectively care for a diverse population, I think the better off we could be when it comes to addressing health disparities. That's great. I'll just throw this next one out to all of you then. Does policy, uh, impact the practice of medicine? To what degree does policy impact the practice of medicine? I think from a science perspective, it seems like, you know, you learn about the body and you learn about processes, you learn about diagnosis and disease, then what? Like when you know that, and then you go into an environment, how different is it depending on whether you practice in New York or upstate New York or downstate New York or in Chicago? How important is the policy component um, for the practice of medicine? Huge. It makes it drives everything. It the difference between somebody getting healthcare and somebody not getting healthcare. It's 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 basically everything. It's what's gonna tell you, okay, this patient qualifies for this study, this patient doesn't qualify for this study. This is how we're gonna be able to bill as physicians. There's like so many components and they're all driven by policy. I think that there's just no separation between healthcare right now and policy. You, you can't separate them at all. You can't tear them apart. Your policy is really gonna drive what you can do as a physician in terms of patient care. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I feel like when, when you're in medical school or you're a medical student, you don't really see the policy side of medicine. Even as a resident, you start to see it more, but it's not until, I feel like until you're an attending when billing and all that other stuff starts to get into the difference between, you know, a person being able to insurance covering and insurance not covering their time in the hospital. Like that's literally when you start to see those things. And I feel like it's just grandfathered in. People just kind of just do it because it's always been done. 
And I feel like that's a lot of things with medicine. It's like, it doesn't really work, but because it's been going on for 10, 20 years or whatever, it's like, ah, I mean, we've been doing it for so long this way, like, let's just continue. Um, And I feel like that again is why policy is so important is because it's important to have policies in the hospital, but then it's also important to kind of peel back and see how can we change these things? How can we improve on these things? How can we make this better for ourselves in terms of efficiency and how can we make it better for our patients? When I was going through like the state watch stuff, you start to see, oh, if this was in the hospital, I, I don't see how this would work. This is, this is work for the doctors. I remember there was one in particular, it wanted residents to take a, some type of course in like, I forget, Maybe, oh, and diet and dietitian course. On top of everything else we're supposed to do, you want us to learn about like calories and like calorie counts? Yeah, plant-based nutrition was one Right, of like questions. I was like, that's why we have dietitians and nutritionists because they went to school for that. Like, why should I have to learn about that? Like, you realize like, well, policy is really important because if we don't say anything, someone's going to be like, all right, residents, you now have to take a mandatory course that costs $500 and you need this to graduate. You're just like, who said that this was okay? Mm-hmm. So yeah, policy is like super important. Um, and we don't really, as residents, we don't really learn about it. And then we're expected to learn about it when we're attendings. That's yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that um, really, I mean, my area of interest is, is healthcare access for the most part. Um, and I, I think that that's something that, that really does get overlooked. You know, there's, there isn't a good reason why a lot of these things need to be thought about and need to be considered and why it needs to be a consuming part of so much of our, our time. Um, but it, it is because of the way our system is, you know, and the fact is that the only way things will change is by working together and and addressing them. Um, so I think that it is uh, an excellent opportunity in, uh, or, or to connect, you know, I think that that's one of the, the nice things that I took away from, um, my time with ACP, um, and speaking with a number of other professional agencies, it, it shows that really we need to work together. And I feel like if we can work together, if we can unite residents from the city and from Long Island and soon to be in Syracuse for me, um, then we really can start making progress. But it's only going to happen if we start working on things and if we can collaborate. I think policy has also been very meaningful. If you look, for example, at policies that impact HIV positive patients, you can see sort of how that has made it so our HIV positive patients have access to their primary care physicians and their medications and they have programs to support them. So there are sort of like, you can see now how there are policies that have had a positive impact too. And you can do a lot of things that are good in terms of policy. It's just sometimes it can take a long time to be done. When I was in high school, right? Like young, long time ago, I thought that you, like, I didn't understand why there needed to be so many new proposals. It's like, why couldn't we just come up with the best way to monitor speeding compliance? Like, you know, like certain rules just seem like there shouldn't be in a constant evolution. And then in my old age now, and then we, you, you realize the world's changing every day. Um, diseases emerge. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen more policy implemented in one year as quickly as the past 12 months when we faced the COVID crisis in New York State and across the country where governors and, and the president kind of 
got the executive order wand out and started changing things left and right um, in creating this very different um, environment. And certainly for the physicians, right? Like who could take care of patients, like what their professional credentials were, who was supervising who, um, out-of-state physicians being licensed to practice in New York, facilities ramping up their capacity in a way that we've never seen before. And it was um, amazing. I mean, it was just amazing what the physician community did to respond to the, to the crisis. Um, yeah, and I think that- Policies around telehealth too. It's like, it, it's changed everything. And thanks to sort of like some of those policies, now we can grant access to a lot more people too. Yeah. And I think that, you know, someone was, was talking the other day, I, I can't remember where I was, was hearing the conversation, but um, about how for a lot of people, this is the first time going to get their COVID test or their COVID vaccination that they haven't had to think about co-pays. They haven't had to think about, um, you know, whether there's insurance coverage. Because you just go and the government has determined that because COVID vaccination and testing is a priority, that the cost will be covered. And, and I mean, you can, you can extend that to the generation of the COVID vaccine, right? A, a priority was made from a policy standpoint and an amazing result came from it. And you can make meaningful difference um, even in a relatively short period of time, even though this is... <laughs> probably the only example of, of this yeah. kind of change happening on a, on a, on a short time scale, but, but it can be done. And, and we've seen that in just the last, you know, barely over a year. Right. I also think and, that it's important when it comes to, you know, if we're trying to move the needle system level, you know, at system wide, you know, policy is important. I mean, I think back to whenever they passed the policy about, you know, Medicaid reimbursement value-based payment versus value-based care versus volume-based care. It's like, yeah, that's the direction we need to go in. But yet when you talk to, you know, medical students now or residents now, that's not the training they're, they're getting. Like, they're like, what does that look like? We haven't been trained on that, but yet there's this, this, this policy that was implemented to make a good, you know, put healthcare in a good direction, but it's not trickling down to the people that actually need to know how to do it. So there's the policy implementation, but then there's the implementation on the ground that sometimes there's a, a, a disconnect that happens. Right. And Simone, for you this year with, uh, with all that the COVID epidemic did to lay bare the kind of the health disparities that exist and um, kind of really demonstrate differences across communities. Um, do you think that we'll be able to capture any of that information to kind of make things better in the future? I would hope so. <laughs> I think there, there is, there is tons of data out there. There's anecdotal, there's quantitative, there's data popping up all over the state, the country that demonstrate that yes, these, you know, structural barriers, these structural issues, structural racism, they're all playing into reasons why, you know, black and brown communities are disproportionately affected you know, access to care, access to, you know, adequate medication, um, health literacy, all of these, what we consider to be social determinants of social influence of healthcare or health outcomes, they're all important aspects to be considered within um, the medical practice. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's, 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 it's root causes, right? So if you're talking about the, 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 the bare minimum of things that we should be looking at when it comes to addressing healthcare and healthcare and health disparities, 
we need to address the root causes. You can't keep putting a Band-Aid on things. And the only way we can eat, we're able to do that is by having system level changes influenced by data that can drive policy. Awesome. Does anybody else have anything you want to add to the <laughs> conversation tonight? I just think Simone nailed it. 